Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. Hey, I'm Sturdy McKee, and in this episode, we have Mike Horsfield. He's the CEO of Rock Valley Physical Therapy in Iowa, and they operate in a couple of different states. Mike has some great insights um, for you, some lessons on not being a founder, but moving into the CEO leadership position ownership. And as you can hear with this right now, when we were recording, this is a heads up, they're doing work on the staircase next door, so there are a couple chops and a couple places where I'm muted. You won't normally see me muting in a podcast, but if you do that, this episode, that's why. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Mike Horsfield. Hey, welcome. Thanks for uh, for listening and watching, maybe. Um, I am so glad to have Mike Horsfield, CEO of Rock Valley Physical Therapy out of Betancourt, Iowa, which is about two and a half hours west of Chicago, I believe. Is that right? Correct. Okay, good. <laughs> Just for those who aren't sure. Um, he's here with us on the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I'm Stuart McKee, business coach and advisor, and your host for the Focus Forward Business Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. So, yeah, Mike, good to please. Oh, yeah, thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> like, please, thanks for being here, Mike. Um, please tell our listeners who you are and what you do a little bit more about you. Yeah, thanks, Sturdy. Um, Again, Mike Horsfield uh, with Rock Valley Physical Therapy. I'm a physical therapist who um, also has my MBA. I'll share a little bit of what why I did that um, here as I go down the road. But I've been I've only had I would say I've only had one employer my entire career. I graduated from the University of Iowa Physical Therapy School back in '93 and joined Rock Valley right away. It was an existing practice at that point. Had three offices, you know. 10, 20 employees, somewhere in that range. Um, it started in 84, so it was nine years in, but that was kind of where it was at that point. Um, was fortunate to join alongside, uh, I got a job, and then they said, hey, we need somebody else, and I called my best friend from undergrad, Eric, and he joined, and then another one of my good friends in grad school, Randy, uh, he came and slept on our couch, you know, doing a clinical the next year, and uh, he joined, and, and that's important because those are the two guys I work most closely with on our executive team. That's now our COO and CFO as well. So I've been blessed, uh, again, many jobs uh, throughout the – oh, I – I used to exaggerate on the high end for credibility study, and now I'm starting to exaggerate on the low end so that I don't <laughs> so and, and irrelevant. Um, but right. I guess I got to do the math and go 93, 27 years um, that I've been a PT, been CEO here for 10 years. Um, Rock Valley during this time has grown. We've grown from those initial three offices to now where we have, uh, we're over 50 locations now in two states. Um, we also have a wellness division that we're really excited about. We're in 18, 19 states now, serving over 3,000 people every week. That's um, awesome. Wellness. Um, so just been blessed to, you know, this is a leadership kind of uh, podcast, I guess. So I've been blessed mm-hmm. to, uh, my experience is I just come across a lot of really good leaders. And um, I, I often tell people, I don't think I've had original idea in my life, but I'm really good at stealing other people's. <laughs> and so I'm just playing the law of numbers here and I'm trying to surround myself with as many people as possible so I can steal as many good ideas uh, as possible along the way. And um, now that our organization, again, we're blessed to have about 450, we're getting close to 500 coworkers, I guess now within mm-hmm. Rock Valley. Um, serving our our communities kind of in the Midwest and then a little bit outward with uh, some of the other some of the other wellness services that we do. Cool. So tell us, I mean, a lot of people we talk to or talk to are founders and kind of go out and, you know, start from scratch, get fed up, something happens like that. But with you, what was your path to, you know, from 
frontline individual contributor, what, what I call level one individual contributor up to the CEO position, you know, in running and growing now this company over the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I started Rock Valley Study. This might have been a little bold at the time, but my, I grew up on a small farm in Iowa. My dad was a construction worker and he had worked for a company and was kind of the top guy in that company for many years and was promised ownership. And then in, in 1980, you know, when my dad was kind of up in years, um, you know, it never happened. Uh, the mm-hmm. promise never got realized. And so he decided during a downturn in the economy to go start his own business and, uh, you know, much later than he could have. And, and I saw that. I grew up with that and I appreciate that. So I was maybe a little more bold than I should is when I interviewed with Steve Layer was one of was one of our founders here. And I interviewed with Steve and, you know, part of mine was like I had a desire. I said, I want to be a really good therapist first you know, do you guys have that? And then secondly, like, I would like ownership. Like I've seen what my dad went through. I, you know, if I can do it with you, that would be great. Otherwise, you know, that's, I, I just believe strongly. Um, and again, my dad, you know, instilled in me some of those things. The reason my dad wanted to be an owner is he felt there was a better way to do business than what he had been done. And I felt the same way, like, uh, you know, call it a control freak, whatever it might be in me. But again, I got a vision of, of what I want to do and, and to be able to, to have some impact on what those rules are that we have to play by and, and how we're going to do it. Um, I think is why most private practitioners get an owner, you know, become owners. So they believe there's a better way to take care of people or whatever it is that inspires them to take the risk and to take the chance to do that. And so I said that in the initial interview, you know, and Steve was, Steve's just such a visionary guy at the time. He's like, yeah, great. Like it wasn't a, you know, this is a fixed part of the pie. You're not getting what I built. It was like, yeah, come on right. in. Let's see what, how this works. And, Again, being impatient after two or three years of being there, I kept asking, when's this going to happen? Well, how's this going to happen? And, <laughs> and eventually, Steve and Wanda, who were the two owners at that time, mm-hmm. saw that there was an opportunity. But again, Randy and Eric, as well mm-hmm. as a few others who are still partners of ours today, had also um, expressed that interest. And so they gave up some ownership with the idea that we can grow this and it can be bigger than themselves. And again, that's not something everybody's willing to do. Um, no, and, it's not. And again, I... I you know, a small part of that's what I brought to the table. A big part of the opportunity that I was given was, was just, again, Steve and Wanda, you know, providing us with the opportunity to, to mm-hmm. learn, make mistakes under them. And then also they, you know, they did something that not many owners do. And when they saw that this group had it and was going, you know, going to take it, they just, they kind of stepped out of the way. They, they, you know, they sold off their owners. We have now 15 partners with Rock Valley. We're trying to figure out how to make it 50. So again, in repaying that, we're trying to decide how do we get to a professional partnership that's really like engineering and accounting firms have. Like, again, if ownership matters to our profession, why isn't it easier for people to be owners? And why isn't there any models that really foster that type of, of a, a partnership track. And so um, that's what gets me most excited this day. You know, I go back all the way to my dad and go, you know, how can I repay, you know, how can we do something that is, that makes a difference that, that provides an opportunity to those people that care more than they should and, and want to be part of something really cool. So. I love it. I mean, that's, that's really a great, it's great that you found fit that early in your career because there are, I guess I, I see owners struggling to find employees who want to take on any role in ownership and, and, you know, then another, other side of the coin employees, other places that are frustrated because, you know, and end up going out on their own because they, those opportunities weren't available. So yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll remind me later, I'll connect you to a couple of people who have set up 
ownership tracks and partnership tracks and that type yeah. of thing as well. So what advice, I mean, one of the things, and you're, you're getting close to 500 employees, right? And presumably you have a personal life, right? <laughs> Beyond that. Um, a lot of business owners that I talk to end up kind of struggling with time and time management. And that happens whether they're at five or 10 or 20 or 50 employees and can't, you know, they can't really conceive of how would I deal with that kind of, you know, I mean, staff across multiple locations, a couple of states. So what advice would you give a business owner who's struggling with not having enough time in their day? Yeah, I think, boy, that's, you know, sturdy. We've all been there. Right. Um, and so <laughs> yeah, I think sure. first I would say you're not alone. That might be my first <laughs> advice I would tell them. And then second, I would say, if you really want to change it and I say it in that way, because sometimes yeah. we say we want to change it. Um, but we really don't want to change it because that serves some purpose in our life. Right. The, right. Like we wear that as a badge of honor sometimes. It's part of our identity. I'm so busy. Like, look at this. Like I'm working, I'm up at five right. and, you know, and, and you hear people say this, it's, you know, it, it's a boastful thing. It's, it, it's, it's a badge. It's, you know, I, I need less sleep than you do, you know, you hear <laughs> those things. And I think is, you know, if, if that's something that you still have the energy level for and you don't want to change, then that's okay. You know, do that. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to change it, then you've got to, you've got to be committed to making that change. And that's about finding people figuring out what you're good at and what you're not good at and what you don't want to do. And, and for me, Sturdy, it came down to me asking a question of what do I want to spend my time doing? And when I get asked, because there's always asks like, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Sure. I had to have some vetting process for me. Like, what are the questions I'm going to ask myself to know whether I say yes to this or not? And to mm -hmm. me, that's very simple. It comes down to two things. And that's, you know, is this an interesting question? that if we solve it, will make a meaningful difference in people's lives? And two, am I gonna be doing it with people I really enjoy? Okay, and if, if, if answer yeah. to one of those is no, I'm gonna say no. Then you're done, right. It, it, but, but, it, but you know, prior to that, people say, well, what about all the other stuff you have to do? And again, I would challenge, do you really have to be doing it? Number one, you gotta answer, yeah, answer that truthfully. And secondly, if you do, is there anyone else in your organization who can do it better than you? And are you willing to let go of it? Because, you know, we're doers, we're fixers, right? Like we got to the, we got to these positions because we're doers and fixers and, and that's enablers and rescuers. You might use all those words um, to describe how many of us get to the position, but if we want our time back, we've got to help people fix their own problems and come up with their own solutions. So that's what you do, right? Like you're changing into a coach, like there, there is educator, there's mentor, and there's coach. And those are three separate things. Mm -hmm. And just because we tell somebody what to do, that's not a coach. Okay. <laughs> a coach <laughs> that is doesn't when work. People, yeah. A coach is when you work with somebody to come up with a better answer than what you would have come up with to the same question. And once people are like where I feel like, like I'm on the other side now, I've got to find like things to do because mm -hmm. the people around me are, are answering all the questions. They're not even getting to me and they're having, they're answering them better than I would have if they would have gotten to me. Right. So now there's this, this period that swings of irrelevance that you go, oh, crap, like, no anymore, right. And so you start, your ego starts to suffer because now you're in this in between land of like, I've done what I said I wanted to do and it doesn't feel right. Like I am not getting people knocking on my door anymore and I've got to go search out people to talk to. They don't come to me anymore. And, and, and so, but that's a, but again, I, I think it starts with sturdy of really uh, reflection on 
do, do I really want that? Is that what I want? Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't agree more, Mike. And it's a real credit to you having made that transition because the way I look at it, um, I have a couple different frameworks for it, but you're going from that individual contributor to the kind of coordinator. So you can think of it like the, any number of analogies, but you're, you know, the virtual sort of violinist moving into the conductor position. Well, you can't run down and play violin, yeah. right? If you're a coach, like with a sports team, right? You can't run out and field the ball. You've got to empower your players and give them the right playbook and practice and those things so that they can be successful. And when you hire the right people, they want to play the position. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you on that busyness, us being busy and what are we busy about and conflating that with importance. And you're right. We do. And it, I mean, and it's not just something like if anybody's in there kind of worrying about themselves or something, that's not an accusation. We've, again, we've all been there yeah. um, and our society does that. And I think we've kind of buy into it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and we do like the busier I am, the more important I am. And, and uh, yeah, there's, I, I struggle with that not being needed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and again, right. we had to struggle with that as an organization because culturally, like, again, when we have a beer at the end of the day, you know, the first question you'd ask somebody is how many patients you see today, right? Like that was like, how busy were you, right? Like that's, that's how we held value. Like, oh, I saw 15 people today. Like, you know, right. everybody'd one up, it's kind of like being at the gym and you're asking a bunch of guys jacked up on testosterone like how much do you bench right like does it really matter like again how healthy are you right and that's a better question it doesn't it's not quite as easy to answer and it, it doesn't right. get feed our egos quite the same way that some of the other the easier questions okay i can't believe this we're going to check the audio later but they just started sawing and doing something right next door <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm sure you do um here, let's hang on just a second. So, Mike, I once heard somebody say that business is a problem. The only question is, what kind of problem are you going to be facing today? So what challenges are you currently facing in your business, and how are you working to overcome those challenges? Yeah, I mean, I kind of alluded to it a little bit before, Sturdy. Mm -hmm. is It's really not... I mean, the cool part is obviously we had COVID. We had the pandemic. Again, I'm, right. I'm going to put that aside because right. uh, I'm sure you've had talks on that. And uh, there's nothing new I have to add with that. Um, but I think for us as an organization, again, it's um, what I'm excited about is how do we transition ownership to the next generation um, and also get our existing partners out with a fair return for their investment in the company, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of creating a legacy company. The the best, I mean, my best day at work I ever had was a time when we went out to, um, we had a board meeting about five, seven years ago. And at that time we had, I think maybe we had 10 shareholders. And I said, okay, guys, we got to figure out what we're going to do with succession here. Again, all, none of us were ready to retire, but I knew that takes 10, 15 years sometimes to kind of figure out. And so I said, you know, we get, I took two envelopes with me out to eat after our board meeting. And one of them had our internal valuation the other one had what we could get from private equity to sell. And I said, okay, you know, I want you to have all the information you need to make the right decision for you and your family. And I want, but I also want to discuss today what's important to you. And we went around the room and, and again, everyone came back with the same three things. We want to take care of our coworkers. We want to take care of our patients. We want to take care of our communities. And every one of those shareholders handed in those envelopes unopened. And they said, whatever's in those envelopes doesn't matter. And again, one was about two times the other one as far as what they would have gotten bought out at. Right. And so again, that was 
that was such a great day to realize like, wow, you have this group of people who are looking at something bigger than themselves and, and wanting to leave something, leave a legacy, you know, for our profession. And, and again, that hits my, my responsibility and futuristic are my top two strength finders sturdy. So you can see where that would just feed into a guy like myself and like, Oh, cool. I've got this really cool opportunity. And again, I've, I've muddled through the last five years failing at every road we tried to go down, but now, but now to, uh, to kind of see the, see an opportunity and, and see this, this, path that I believe is going to work for us. Um, again, it's not a problem. There's just, it's an opportunity, but there'll be a lot of problems within that opportunity. As you said, like sometimes opportunities present themselves as problems and problems often always jump into an opportunity at some point. And so you got to persist through them and make sure you stay focused on what's important. Well, that's a cool point too, though, because one of, I, I understand that the root of the English word goal is, ob, it comes from obstacle. Yeah. So when we're, yeah, there, there are always two sides to that coin, right? When we pursuing a new opportunity, that's a new challenge, a new goal. There are going to be obstacles and things that come up, yeah. things we don't anticipate and whatever. By the same token, when we're running into, you know, the problem that presents itself today that we didn't expect, that very often is an opportunity either to, you know, wow a customer or impress an employee or build community. Whatever. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. No, and there's, I think another way that manifests itself sturdy and one of the great lessons I learned is my first leadership opportunity. We, we had a couple outpatient clinics, but then we had a hospital contract, right? And so at the hospital, you had to work weekends. You, you had to work in a setting that, that wasn't just strictly sports outpatient. And most of us were wanted to be in that, in that setting. And so there was a leadership opportunity there. And I like a little over a year and a year and a half into my professional career, I said, hey, no one else wanted to do it. And I'm like, hey, I'll put my hand up. I'll, I'll do it. And so I think, you know, for people that, and, and again, I, there I, I, I happened to walk into this hospital leadership team that was amazing that I just was able to learn so much from. So opportunities often mask themselves as the thing no one else wants to do. And I, and I say that in, a, in both like a personal development standpoint, but it's also like, competing in the market everybody wants to be in is really hard. <laughs> right. Go somewhere where nobody else wants to be, right? And, and it's a lot easier. <laughs> and so I think when we're looking at our businesses, we always get attracted by shiny objects and, and what everybody wants to do. But sometimes you got to step back and go, where's nobody want to be? And maybe that's where the real opportunity lies. Oh, that's great. Yeah, not just what they haven't seen, but what are they avoiding? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, very cool. So what's your proudest moment in business? And maybe we're going to end up going back to what yeah. we just talked about. But <laughs> Yeah, I think, boy, that's right up there. Um, yeah. You know, it, I'm trying to, I've had, I mean, proud and I mean, proud of the people, you know, when you're, when you're working in a business and you're, you know, doing what we do, it's, it's seeing other people achieve, I think that are your proudest moments. It's like, you know, you can be proud of yeah. what you accomplish, but when your child accomplishes something, it's, it's. <laughs> 12 times that, that experience. Right. And so I think it's the same thing. I think just seeing the, you know, we have this, we have a program at work called making better lives at work. That's our tagline, making better lives, but we do a making better lives at work where, you know, people can nominate other coworkers on something they've did above and beyond. And man, that's just, I get it. I mean, 
every month we people submit those and we kind of vote on them and do that. And I'm nice. And it's just one of those things that every, you know, every month that I look at that, I'm like, God, I got so much to, you know, I got so much further to go to be a good human being. Like there's so many great people out there doing so many amazing things. But so I think in general, the, the thing I'm most proud of is that I get to work alongside just this amazing group of human beings that all are in it for the right reason. I mean, that just, and to, to think that you get to be a part of that and you, that you get to lead that organization, um, you know, that, and, and again, seeing what they did during COVID, I mean, you invest in culture, but you have a hard time measuring it. COVID, right, until the chips are down. Yeah. So COVID was a time in which, yeah. again, how do we measure it? Well, we went to our team and we said, gosh, guys, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, will everybody take a 20% pay cut? We'll take more than that as a leadership team until we figure out. And everybody's like, yep, yep. And we said, this is voluntary. Like, we're not, we're not telling you you have to. We're just asking. And again, we had one or two people who, because of their spouses getting laid off or other financial hardships, weren't able to do it. And we understood that. But the right. majority of people, without batting an eye, said, yeah, what do you need us to do? So again, a proud moment is moments like that where you realize, man, we invested in this culture um, and the people and they appreciate it. And, and we know they do, but you, you just, you don't know day to day, you, you know, when things are going well, you don't get a good sense of, I believe it's true, but is it really true? Um, those are questions you often take home with you at night, but it was sure. very clear during COVID that yes, uh, um, I get to be part of something pretty special. So Mike, what did you, um, is there anything you did specifically intentionally that, you could in a minute or two explain around that establishment of the culture and that development yeah. of the culture. I think, you know, we have, you know, one of our, one of our value position studies, we put people first, you know, one of our market differentiators. So again, we, we do not, we're not a profit driven company. We are a purpose driven company. And so we invest in our people and that comes in professional development, which is above and beyond, um, you know, we don't, we're not hard driving, you know, I'm a metric, I'm a metric guy. I'm known by some people sure. in our industry as Mike data. Like I always like to measure success <laughs> and, and what does that mean? How do we know if we're there? And I, I do that because I don't like uncertainty, but at the same time, like these things are fuzzy and soft and hard to measure, but we, we look and say, are we making decisions based on people first and profits second? Um, Steve Layer, the foundation of our company, it hangs in our boardroom is great care is good business. Like it's just fundamentally that. So that, I mean, it's every action every day. Do you, do you follow that? And I think, again, what we said during COVID is, Hey guys, like everybody that needs a job is going to have one. Like we, again, we kept everybody on full to start with until we knew what was happening. And then we looked at it and said, okay, we got so many resources. How do we take care of the most amount of people with those resources? And so some furloughing made sense because they would end up with the same amount of money and that would give us more money to keep everybody else at full pay. And we did that. And then even, you know, I said, everybody took a 20% pay cut. We got through it. We bonused all of that back to them. And so again, the idea that that they, they took a 20% cut in pay, but we let them work from home for a day. <laughs> okay. So again, the idea that, that, you know, we're going to trade a day for, for some pay, but we gave that, we gave that money all the, all back to them when we could. That's great. So it's doing those things over and over. Our, again, our, our shareholders take 6% of the, of the profit, the first 6%, and then we share everything else back 50%. 
with our employees. So we've done, when we look at it, about 30% of the profits total in our company every year are bonus back to the employees. We've done this for years. So again, that's just who we are as an organization. Um, so, you know, I always think that it's got to be woven within your culture. Like it, it is not a program. Like I've been a part of organizations. I've done consulting with hospitals and others where like, oh, we're going to do this culture program or this employee engagement program. It's not a program. That's like, custom, that's like having a customer service desk. Like you desk and that's done, right? Um, you understand that. But oh, that's, yeah. that's, uh, so that's the part is every action has to be intentional and be designed around how do we take care of people. I love it. Yeah. Interwoven into the fabric of the organization. It's not Absolutely. something we do. It's just, it is what we do. Right. I love it. Um, so I like to ask people this kind of question. What's the biggest thing that you've learned recently that you kind of wish you had learned 10 years ago? Yeah. That's really easy for me. Cause this is, <laughs> is I, I mean, I learn something new every day, but this one is the one that's been most impactful. And we alluded to it a little bit when we were talking about coaching is, I wish I would have appreciated um, the value of insight over advice a long time ago. And there's a huge difference in those things. And, and again, my personality, you know, I tend to be a speak first kind of person. Um, and I didn't appreciate how much I was not helping others by giving them the answers to their problems. And that's advice, right? Like, Hey, this is what I found helpful. Do that. Like, that's so not helpful um, um, to, to other people when they're looking at growing. It, it may get it off your desk quickly, but it's going to come back to you again. Like, well, it's so funny, though, because that's not your intent, right? No, it's not. It's, it's all. And again, I don't know if you've ever read the, this is the, one of the old books that I, that I first recognized. This was called The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. You know, again, that's that monkey. idea that somebody comes to you with a next action. And as a new manager, you gather monkeys all day long, which is you gather the next action. And then suddenly your team's sitting around doing nothing. You're going, why aren't they doing anything? It's because you got all the next actions in your desk, right? And they can't right. do anything until you do what you told them you would do so they can start doing it again. So this idea of insight is helping people understand how, they've, how they could fix the problem. When did this happen last time to you? How mm -hmm. did you do it then? What'd you learn mm -hmm. from that? What could have gone better? How could that have gone better? What do you expect to happen? What actually happened? What would you, you know? Right. And so when you, if you just, if instead of giving that answer, if you follow it with a bunch of questions, you start to see the light bulbs go on and then they start to go, okay, yeah, I, I guess I have solved this. I have navigated this. There's, there's a lot of problems out there, but there's not a lot of many different kinds of problems, right? We got process right. problems. We got people problems right. and, and they fall into kind of one of those buckets and if you can figure out what bucket is, then you can do it. But it's, it's you know, we overcomplicate and think everything's a brand new issue. And <laughs> it really, I don't believe it really is. So I wish right. I would have learned a long time ago to, to help people um, develop themselves and become better um, problem solvers and, and coaches, mentors than to, to, you know, I guess get the stroke of the ego I had from believing I could fix everybody's problems. Well, you're bringing a few great things together here. Um, absolutely, when someone has an insight, and this is what we do with coaching. So for, you know, founders, owners that are out there kind of on their own and don't have that, you can create that kind of question matrix for yourself and debrief yourself. You can also, you know, get a mentor coach, someone to help you with that. But I think the bigger issue here is that transformation of even how we see ourselves as owners, founders, CEOs, leaders, managers, um, 
of moving away from, yeah, having all the answers to how can I facilitate and empower my people to do the things that they need to be able to do to figure out, to solve the problems, Um, which I think a lot of us look at initially as taking more time and more effort. It's definitely a skill. It's definitely something you got to practice. But when you do that consistently, as you mentioned, there are only a few kinds of problems generally, right? So as they start to solve this one and this one and this one with your help, they start solving more and more of them without your help. And, and you touched on something, you know, sturdy too, that I, I weave into this is, mm-hmm. you know, how do you create habits that are sustainable, right? That's another, th- that's it. Absolutely. That's, so again, having the, you know, knowing you want to do something is one thing to actually create the habit is <laughs> completely different. And so one of the ways that I really worked on that was to do a lot more journaling. I've never been somebody that would just sit down and, and just journal about what I felt. And, and, and Another great question is, I often ask people, what do you think? And what I realized was most helpful to me is to ask myself, how do I feel about that? Because the feelings Mm -hmm. are what often keep you doing things that you say you don't want to do. Okay. And an example of that I could give to like a, somebody like when, when suddenly you are not the person in the clinic, like, you know, we all start in the clinic, right. And we kind of morph through. So as soon as you're not like what, when, when suddenly that key customer to you, that doctor that's always been good to you or sends that patient to your other therapist, not you. Like, this is what we're talking about, right? Like that's a moment right. where suddenly like, Oh my gosh, my ego is being challenged. Right. And, and to say, what do you think about that is one thing, but if you say, how do I feel about that? How's that making me feel? If you can get to the root of that and understand that, then you can let it go. Uh, because you're never going to, you're never going to disengage from that activity to engage in something else that you want to do. If you're going to be resentful or, or feel bad about that or be upset about that. And, and so you've got to be okay with somebody else being the person, right? Like that now is the face of your organization or the best therapist in your, in your, in your company. Like you got to let that go. Um, Otherwise you'll never, never be able to get beyond that. That's a great point, Mike. Thank you for that. I, yeah. Um, I like what you mentioned earlier too, that ties right back into this is their successes really reflect upon you. Yeah. So I, I, I understand like they're getting the referral, they're getting acknowledgement and there might be a hit to your ego, but it ultimately, if you were part of their, part of their success, you know, enjoy that and, and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. You got to change the paradigm and how you define success though, right? You got to say that I'm intentionally setting out to do this. And when that happens, then your ego feels like, you know, it's not rather than it happening circumstantially. And then you, you kind of challenging (laughs) like what, what actually is going on here. So yeah, I think that's important. Well, so you mentioned uh, the one minute manager meets the monkey, which I haven't heard I know the one minute manager, but I know about the meets the money. I'll have to check that one out. What other um, like favorite business books or uh, books you're reading right now would you recommend? Yeah, That's I mean the, the this this idea of introspection. You know, there's a reboot book by Jerry Colonna um, that I that I just loved was really helpful for me on getting a sense of wh- why I believe what I believe. And, and it, I mean, it's almost like a, it's almost like sitting on a, a psychologist couch because it's, it's written kind of interestingly. It gives his story of, of his upbringing, what happened. But there's questions you have to journal about after every chapter. 
uh, you know, and again, mm-hmm. some of them I can just remember off the top of my head. It's like, how do you, you know, how did you, what experiences shaped how you view money? Like, think about that yeah. question and oh, how Lord. money, <laughs> life now. And you know, you, that's like stuff starts flying out. So make sure you're in a safe place when you do this, <laughs> depending on, on, on where you're at. But that really helped me appreciate the insight uh, part that I just mentioned, as well as just getting a really good feeling on why I see things the way I see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, de- that detaches the emotions around it. Then when I can understand that now, when that happens, that I would respond emotionally to before, like I like realize, okay, I know I'm, I'm starting to get that feeling, but I know why I'm getting that feeling now. And it's, it's not that big a deal. I can let it go. And so I think that's great. I love the power of habit. Um, I love Daniel Kahneman's things on, on bias and, and, you know, we th- how, why we think wrong. Um, I mean, it, it, he's got a couple different books out. I've got a, got my whole chapter, uh, all of them right up here. But, um, you know, uh, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow is his, probably, I think, his most recent one. But that's just like, how do we, how do we get the, to the, how do we get the thought out of our reflexive uh, nature and get it to a, you know, to a more thoughtful process to where we don't let our biases shape our decisions, you know, and there's a lot of biases that he talks about in there. And I think you got to be aware of those anchoring bias, recency bias, you know, all these things that um, really lead to just poor decisions being made. Right. I mean, that's ultimately like we make poor decisions a lot of times because we don't even realize, you know, and again, Daniel, I mean, the, the sad part is Kenneman, who's a, you know, Nobel laureate on this issue. Like I listened to him on a podcast and he's like, they said, so how do you do things differently? He's like, I really can't because these things are hardwired. <laughs> like, so all of a sudden, <laughs> but then he comes back to say, well, but you can't really change anything, but I think you can. I mean, certain things we do like an anchoring bias. If you're talking to your team, like we had a conversation yesterday and you're saying, okay, rate this meeting. We use a different, we use traction, which is a, you know, mm-hmm. a EOS operating system. We do meetings. So if you tell somebody like rate this meeting, and you let somebody throw out a seven, I'll guarantee you everybody else's response is going to be either a six or an eight or seven. Like you're going to anchor everything around that. So in order to avoid that now, we have people write down, like who's got ideas on this, write down those ideas. Otherwise the first Before... person idea out, everyone's going to have some variation of that idea. But if you make people write it down, now you go around the room and say, what do you got written down? You're going to get a much more diverse group of ideas. So I think there are some tactics and strategies when you understand the biases that you can build in um, to how you, how you make decisions as an organization. Nice. No, that's great. Great. We'll uh, make sure we'll have links to those books down below as well. Um, so what, who, are the, who else, what other business owners, CEOs, uh, would you like to acknowledge as a leader and should, I should invite as a guest? Oh gosh, there's so many, so many. <laughs> a long think, list. Uh, yeah. I, you know, the, the, I've been fortunate to be in this peer to peer group through PPS sturdy and, um, you know, my team there, it's just an amazing group of people, um, that are, are so, every leader there is so different, but yet they're so amazing. And that's a group that is like for the first, like for me, you know, and again, I would share this with other people is like, you find a group like that, that's willing to, to accept you for who you are. And at the same mm-hmm. time, hold you accountable to be better than you think you can be right. Like that's what this group has done for me. And again, that's, that's a Michelle Colley and Dan Rutenberg and Todd 
Gifford and Chris Albanese and Jeff Ostrowski and Wade Vandover. And like, that's my peer to peer group, but I could, I could go on for 20 minutes here um, with other people that have been impactful. Um, Let's go. Dan's already on the schedule for next week. Awesome. Yeah. Dan's (laughs) awesome. So, and I, yeah, I know some of those folks, I'll get the rest of the list from you too, but that's awesome. Thank you so much. That's yeah. They've been, they've meant a lot to me. Cool. Cool. Um, so are there any other thoughts you'd like to leave us with? That's about all I got, Sturdy. I'm not a very complex <laughs> human being. No, I, I, no I, don't, I don't have any. Um, there's, as I shared, I think all I, all I would say to you know, the people out there is, is find people who share your values, um, who, who are better than you think you can be, who are willing to share their time. Like we have such a wonderful profession. And I've been amazed, you know, from like when you say who's meant a lot to you, like people like Steve Anderson and Drew Boston and Patrick Graham and Mark Anderson, like this group, when I, Lynn Steffes, like when I was like, didn't deserve their friendship, they gave it to me, you know, and, and, and they, and you, they just let you hang out with them and you, you just through osmosis, you learn. And so I think if, if people are struggling or having challenges, you know, just know that it's as simple as reaching out to somebody in our profession and, and that Peace Corps gene, that caring gene we all, we all share is going to, the people are going to take you under their wing and they're going to help you. They're going to hand you off to somebody to give you answers. So just don't be afraid to ask. Um, keep asking good questions um, that questions are more important than answers um, on the journey. So it is not about having the right answers. It's about keeping asking the right question um, that's that's kind of what I guess I could share with people that hopefully would be helpful. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. And it is helpful. And I really appreciate you being here, Mike. Yeah. Um, I'll say this now, but also when we redo the introduction later, they were doing work on the staircase next door. So if you saw me muting back and forth or whatever, I'm trying to get the saw noise out of the podcast so thanks everybody and thank you mike for your patience as well really appreciate it and uh, thanks for being here appreciate the invitation sturdy take care thank you for listening